Open your Bibles with me, please, to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21. This is John's vision, as he said at the beginning of the chapter, of the new heavens and the new earth. Revelation 21, page toward the end, right? Last page. Last page of the book. Uh, This is week two on this text. And last week we focused on what John heard with his ears. This week we're looking at what John sees with his eyes. He heard magnificent promises from the throne. And now he looks with his eyes and he sees a complementary vision. He sees that what he had heard being reinforced. Uh, Remember in Revelation you have this uh, dual idea between what John hears and what John sees. So he sees New Jerusalem, in the fullest sense of the word, heaven. He sees heaven. And he sees that it's a city, it's a temple, and it's a bride. Heaven is a city, heaven is a temple, heaven is a bride. The late Tim Keller, uh, he actually died this year, um, went to be with the Lord this year. He said that our understanding of the future drastically shapes our experience of the present. So if you think that you are just a random collection of atoms uh, that's here for a little while for some random uh, blind set of evolutionary forces, uh, ultimately destined to fade into nothingness, or as Shakespeare put it, that uh, life is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing, If that's what you believe, you're going to have a very different experience of this day and of your Thanksgiving week than you will if you believe that Revelation 21 says something about your future. We're not like playing, we're playing with live ammo when we come to the word of God, right? It's actually my personal destiny that is on the line here. This is really important stuff. Um, And so I want to jump in. First, heaven is a city. Look at verse 9 with me. Verse 9. In our text this morning, starting with verse 9, John's approached by an angel uh, who he has seen before, and this angel takes him up to, quote, a great high mountain. I thought this was just a throwaway detail, but like like everything else in the scripture, it's not. Uh, Throughout Israel's history, mountains were the place of divine revelation. Uh, they're somewhat like what people call thin places, right? Has anyone ever scaled a mountain before? Anyone? Has anyone ever, like, walked to the top or driven to the top of a hill? Right? (laughs) Come on, a few more? All right, yeah, thank you. Uh, There's a sense of you can see everything, right? In the biblical worldview, mountains are very significant. These are places where you meet with God. Um, It's inferred, especially in the book of Ezekiel, that the Garden of Eden was on a mountain, right? All these waters flowed out of Eden uh, and watered the earth. Well, water flows downhill from the mountain, right? Uh, God met with Moses and delivered the law on Mount Sinai. Uh, David and his son Solomon built the holy city Jerusalem and ultimately the temple on top of a mountain, Mount Zion. Uh, The Jews believed that uh, Mount Zion was God's footstool. If God's sitting on his throne, his like little ottoman, you know, where he puts his feet, that's Mount Zion. It's the center of the world. Uh, Elijah defeated the prophets of Baal or Baal, depending on what, whether you come from America or Britain, um, on Mount Carmel. Matthew tells us that Jesus went up, quote, on the mountain to deliver his famous sermon 
not in the valley, but Sermon on the Mount. He was transfigured then on top of, quote, a high mountain. Matthew 28, he ascended from, you guessed it, a mountain. Uh, And the angels were there then and told his disciples that he'd come back in the same way that he went. Do you get the sense that mountains are significant? We should expect that the angel isn't going to take John spelunking, right? He's not going down into a cave. He's on a mountain. This is the place of divine revelation. And atop this mountain, John sees, verse 10, the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. There's a a belief in kind of what we would call progressive humanism that uh, things are going to continually get more and more enlightened and better and better, and human society will improve until we sort of raise ourselves up, and that's how we encounter God or transcendence or what have you, right? Um, And so if that were the case, then you would see, John would see uh, the new Jerusalem coming up out of earth toward God. That's not what he sees, because that's not the biblical vision of how history works. Heaven is a gift from God. It descends from heaven to earth. And this isn't a human-made Jerusalem. It's pure grace. Uh, The best things in life, we're about to celebrate this on Thursday, right? Uh, The best things in life are pure grace. Um, No one is a self-made man. No one. No one earns heaven. And heaven we see here, this is the bizarre thing. When when I say the word heaven, in pop culture, what comes to mind? What's the first image that comes to mind? Anybody? Say it out. A cloud, right? Right? An amorphous dwelling on a cloud. Maybe there's a harp you're playing. Anybody, you guys familiar with this? All right. So to make sure we're all alive this morning. Um, The image here is not of a cloud. It is a city. Not a villa. Not a country estate. A city. Why a city? This would have made sense to John's first readers, right? Remember, he's writing to seven churches who are in the seven major cities in the province of Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. So for these folks, they lived in the city. Uh, In their consciousness, there are two big cities that are like the center of the universe. If you're a Gentile, the center of the universe is the city of Rome. If you're a Jew, the center of the universe is the city of Jerusalem, right? Cities figured large in the minds of these people. This was not an automobile society. And the New Testament scholar Richard Bauckham notes that these folks would have thought it possible to be fully human only in the public life of a city. You can't realize your full potential without human community. So it made sense to them. Of course heaven's a city. Well, this is a little awkward to preach here, I have to say. Because we're in the middle of a town that is literally a nature preserve. Um, the part of the appeal of Fox Chapel to people is that there are not so many people, right? We want to walk out our back, you want to walk out your backyard and not see your neighbor waving hi to you in his underpants drinking his, drinking his morning coffee, right? You want to see uh, like the squirrels and some deer coming through your yard. 
It's not the city. People come here for peace and quiet. So if I talk about heaven and I'm like, it's a city, guys. You're like, oh, goodness gracious. No, thank you. (laughs) I'll try the other place. How can that possibly be good news? Uh, Do you have to be an urbanite to be blessed? Well, no. And yes. Let me explain. Uh, We need to remember that, first off, this book is full of symbolism. uh, And taking it seriously does not always mean taking it literally. Okay? Sometimes taking it literally means taking it less seriously than taking it for what it is. So, uh, Revelation tells us, describes Jesus all the time as a slain lamb. I hate to break it to you. Jesus is not literally a lamb. Jesus is a human body up in heaven. He ascended to the Father, and he is at the right hand of the Father as a human, not a lamb. Different species, okay? He didn't become do the incarnation to become a lamb. Um, that is an image that tells us something crucial about his character, about who he is. Like a sheep before his shearers, he was silent. He gave his life up for us. We would do well to reflect on that, and perhaps the same idea is at work here. So if you don't like taking 28 downtown and surfing the concrete jungle, um, it's a little better now that Google Maps is here, but like before, did anybody drive in Pittsburgh before the advent of GPS? Oh, let me tell you kids, it was something. It was, that, that's how you like, that's how you became an adult right there. Um, where was I? Gosh. Um, Jesus lived in Galilee. He lived in the boons, right? Uh, You don't have to love everything about the city in order to be a follower of Christ, right? There are a lot of things that people don't like about the city, and that's, I guess, okay. But in the larger sense, you've got to love the city. We all have got to love the city. Here's what I mean. God started with a garden, and he placed the man there. The man's working the garden. And you know what the first thing God says is? It is not good that the man should be alone. You and I were created for community. The Lord made, a, made the woman and these partners, they were, he, they were commanded to be fruitful and multiply, right? Till the earth and subdue it. Basically create human culture and art and technology and traditions and all these other good things. That's what we were made to do. To like build stuff. We were created to be creators. And so um, if you hate other people and you hate human culture and you just want to like go off and do your own thing, the Lord's going to have to do some work on that. Sorry to break it to you. Um, Because heaven is, there's no heaven without other people. There's no heaven without community. Heaven is an ordered community. It's a city. And uh, the architecture of this heavenly city tells us something about its order. Uh, There are 12 gates corresponding to the 12 tribes of Israel. Each of the gates is a pearl, a giant pearl. That's where they get the term, the pearly gates. It's not that they're adorned with pearls. They are pearls. We noted in the podcast, imagine the size of that mollusk. (sighs) The... Sorry. Uh, The wall has 12 foundations corresponding to the 12 apostles. 
And then, uh, so, and the 12 tribes of Israel are, are on each of the 12 gates. So you have 12 and 12. Numbers in Revelation, symbolic or not? Symbolic. So, uh, completion, completion. This is an ordered city that is built upon the completion of God's work in this age. The whole history of God's people is built into the walls and gates of the city. So, what does this mean? This means that what happens here and now is not like obliterated into some sort of like infinite realm where all is forgotten. No, the tales of what God has done will be, te- will be told in the halls of heaven for eons and eons and eons. All of heavens, the heavenly city is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. This is what God has done. It's not some disembodied existence floating on the cloud. That's one thing that we can certainly conclude from this text. Heaven is not absorption into the one. That's not what the Bible says. It's not the biblical picture of heaven. It's an ordered community of people under God's rule. In a word, it's a city. And the city is a temple. Uh, If you go to Jerusalem... On the western side of the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, there's a wall where the Jews go to pray. They'll often write down their prayers and roll them up in paper and place them in the cracks of what is called the Wailing Wall. And the Wailing Wall is one of the most sacred sites in modern Judaism today because it's the closest place. It stands in proximity to where heaven and earth used to meet. In the Jewish worldview... Uh, Heaven and earth, it's like a Venn diagram, right? There's an overlap place, and that overlap place is called the holiest of holies in the temple. Now, temples are by no means uniquely Jewish. Uh, A lot of different cultures have recognized that we need a thin place, so to speak, to meet with divinity. So the seven cities in Asia Minor that John is writing to were full of temples. Temples to Artemis, temples to Roma, the god of Rome, temples to Caesar, the Roman emperors, temples to Zeus, you name it. There were even temples to an unknown god. The ancient cities were full of temples. It's a common feature, just like grocery stores are here. But this city, guess what? No temple. Why is there no temple? I want to note two details in the construction of this city that explain why. First detail, verse 19. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was, I'm going to butcher this list, so you know. Pay attention in the recording to what Anne said, not to what I, how I put these. Uh, the first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, I think, right? Um, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. Okay, twelve gemstones. Uh, why twelve gemstones? Exodus 28. The Lord instructs the people of Israel to make these ornate ephods, which are essentially vests, for the priests to wear. This is the building of the tabernacle, the early temple. And these vests are, de- are decorated with, you guessed it, 12 gemstones. The list is not identical to the one we have here, but it's 
it's pretty similar. There's a big overlap. So what's going on here? The priestly garment has become the foundation of the heavenly city. That's weird. Second detail. Uh, we see in verse 16 that the city lies foursquare. Its length, width, and height are all 12,000 stadia. Uh, we calculated out in the podcast that this is 1,380 miles. Roughly, if you put it into square miles, 1,900,000, which Alex said was roughly the size of Turkmenistan, which I later realized doesn't help me at all, and it's, and it's technically wrong. Sorry. <laughs> 10 Turkmenistans? 10 times the 10 Turkmenistans. Everybody got that mental picture? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, it's like three times the size of Alaska. But of course, numbers in Revelation, symbolic or no? Symbolic. So the point is that it is 12, which means complete, and then 1,000, 10 times 10 times 10. Complete, mega, 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 by complete, mega, 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 and then it's also by complete mega, mega, mega. It's that high. Think 10 Turkmenistans, then going up to the sky. It's a cube. It's a cube. Does anybody know a city that's a cube? Cubic cities? That's interesting. I mean, Saudi Arabia is doing something funky out there with like a vertical city, but nothing like this. Why a cubic city? 1 Kings 6 describes the dimensions of the original temple. Verse 20 says this, The inner sanctuary was 20 cubits long by 20 cubits wide and 20 cubits high. The holiest of holies is 20 by 20 by 20. The place where the high priest entered once a year after elaborate rituals of purity with a string tied around his ankle and a bell on his waist so that if he fell down, they would know that he'd been struck down by God and they could drag his body out. That place is a cube. The heavenly city, which has no temple, is a cube with 12 gemstones, just like the priestly ephods of the foundation. What's the point here? From the bottom up, up, this is the place where humanity is ultimately proximate with God. This is the holiest of holies. The whole city is the holiest of holies. Verse 3 says, Behold, the dwelling place, the tabernacle of God is with man. Your future, if you cling to Christ, is to live in the holiest of holies. The Apostle Paul rightly said, Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. And we, we pray something like that uh, at the beginning of every service, right? Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid. He's right here. He knows everything that's going on. He knows your secrets. And yet, we don't really experience him. Not in the same way that we will. There's something, there's some kind of barrier on, as a result of our sin that has not yet been fully, completely fixed. It's been started, right? The victory's achieved on the cross, but it ain't there yet. The proximity will be there. You'll be able to, like, sit and have a conversation with Almighty God. Um, this is fantastic news. 
or terrifying news, depending on how you look at it. But thanks be to God that it can be fantastic news for you and for me. The city is a temple. And lastly, this temple city is a bride. 21.2, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. 21.9, then came one of the seven angels, and he spoke to me, saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. Anybody ever been to a wedding before? Everyone? They're strange events, aren't they, when you really think about it? Uh, Jenna and I were married um, at 23 years old, and we were pretty much totally broke. I don't think we could afford the OR at the end of poor. We were just po. And, um, and yet, as with most weddings, we spent the day pretending that we were royalty, <laughs> right? It's so weird. I spent literally my life's savings. I was going to buy a Harley Davidson motorcycle or an engagement ring, and I made the right purchase. I bought a diamond ring for her, and she put this, she's, so she's wearing the gemstones. She put this gorgeous white dress on, and she did up her hair. Uh, my friends and I got sucked into the wedding industrial complex, and we rented tuxedos to pretend that we were English royalty from the 19th century. And we went to a giant banquet hall and had this huge party and the bridal party, right? You guys have been to these. We sat on this like table looking out at everyone else that was elevated above all the rest, almost like we were like the royal court. It's so weird. Um, Little kids play house and pretend that they're husbands and wives. And it's like newlyweds then come and play castle and pretend that they are kings and queens. That's what it seems like it's always going on. Maybe this is built into our subconscious like memory, this longing. Um, Anyone who's been married uh, for maybe more than three months knows that even the best marriage is not simply a happily ever after. Um, Marriage is hard. Uh, when, I, when you're a teenager, you think like, ah, once I reach marriage, that's the promised land and I will be completely set. Uh, once you get married, you know it's not that easy. Sometimes it shatters you. There are a lot of people who have had shattering experiences in this most close of relationships. But yet, marriage is not the promised land. It is pointing towards something infinitely more royal infinitely more happy ever after, infinitely more weighty and honorable and glorious, whatever you want to call it. The whole wedding and all is pointing toward this this bigger thing. And this is the thing. Verse 23. The city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Notice the royal imagery. All of the glory of the kings of the earth is coming into the city. Its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. Again, but nothing unclean will ever enter it nor anyone who does what is detestable and false. It's perfectly pure. 
but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. It's the result of the Lamb's perfect sovereignty. 22.3, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God, there's that royal image, and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. In Revelation, that means ownership. That means belonging, remember. They will belong to him, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. They will reign. Maybe that's why we do that at weddings. C.S. Lewis wrote that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one, bit, one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. There are no ordinary people. So God has created us for so much more than just the, the humdrum of daily life. We're in this bodily existence here and now, and it's tough, right? It's brutal. Uh, but this is not the end. This is not what we live for. The promised land is not sort of whatever uh, existence you can set up here in Fox Chapel or whatever heritage you can inherit here on earth. We're living for something else. That's what it means to be living for Christ. And God bore the cross to make you his bride, to draw you up into that vision, um, and to give you his proximate presence, so you're never alone, and to enrich you with the communion of his saints. Um, I, uh, I preached this text, I've been lucky to preach this text several times since I became a minister, and I once preached it, and a woman came up to me and just and said, uh, in tears, like, I've, uh, my, my husband uh, and I have separated in the last several months, and uh, all of my, all the dreams that I had for our life, I just think about it, I think about the kids, I think about what they, the vision of life that I had for them, and now, now all of that is shattered, and she said, it just means something to think about that heavenly city. It's yours. It's yours in Christ Jesus. You are destined to reign with him, and he will settle for nothing less. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to look forward to the day that we reign with you. Thank you, God, that you've taken undeserving people like me and appointed us to glory. We ask that you would help us to focus our minds and our hearts as we worship you, even now. In Jesus' name, amen.